This is the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on market scale. Building your brand is not around your product, so your team and your players, but you build your brand around truly this experience and this community. And we aren't in the baseball business. We are in the entertainment business, the experience business, and most importantly, the people business. Welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the program. Today, we are going to dive into what goes on behind the scenes of some of the biggest sporting events in the world. We're going to take a look at one specific aspect of that because there are so many different logistics that all have to go right to pull off some of these gigantic events. And today, we're going to look specifically at Wi-Fi. So who is providing Wi-Fi for gigantic outdoor events and providing the kind of connections necessary, the connectivity necessary to really have the, the communication that you have to have for events like this. So We're going to talk to Brown Pelican Wi-Fi, who's actually at the Daytona International Speedway this week, getting ready for the Daytona 500. And they're going to talk about how they provide Wi-Fi for large-scale events like the Daytona 500 and other big conventions. So how do they provide Wi-Fi in the convention center or out in remote places like on a hillside or out in the desert in California? So... They do a lot of really cool events like that. And so their CEO, Mary Beth Hall, is going to join us to explain how Brown Pelican really provides Wi-Fi for events at locations that range from convention centers all the way to uh, you know some of the most famous racetracks in the world. Our second feature of the day is going to be a look back at a conversation I had a couple months ago with Phil Wagner, the CEO of Sparta Science. And we're going to talk about using reliable data to be able to predict and prevent injuries down the road. It's a really interesting conversation. And part of the reason I really wanted to bring it back was that Sparta Science is actually going to be at South by Southwest this year. And so I wanted to bring it back ahead of that festival just to remind everyone of what cool stuff that they are doing there at Sparta Science. So that's going to be the second feature on today's episode. So without further ado, let's dive into that conversation that I had with Brown Pelican Wi-Fi coming up next here on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Right, joining me now on the podcast is Gwen Bueller, the VP of Marketing for Brown Pelican, Mary Beth Hall, who is the CEO, and Ken Notek, the VP of Technology. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast today. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. I'm really excited to get to talk to you guys a little bit more about what Brown Pelican does. But just to intro everybody into what you're doing this week, you are out at Daytona this week. Is that correct? That's right. We're at the Daytona 500 in um, Daytona Beach, Florida. That is really exciting. So what what are you going to be doing out at Daytona this weekend? Uh, we'll be providing Wi-Fi for one of the teams for the truck series race tomorrow. Um, and while we're, while we're providing Wi-Fi for that team, it's Brennan Poole's number 30 truck. We're a sponsor of his truck. And while we're there, we're going to be also talking to potential Wi-Fi sponsors for hotspots in fan zones and in the grandstand, and in the infield. And we'll also be talking to the teams, the other teams, about providing secure networks while they're on site at at all the NASCAR races for this season. That's really exciting. Now, you're able to, through this Wi-Fi that you you are able to provide, collect some analytic data as well, right? And that can really help 
um, with understanding uh, some of the uh, some of the data that goes on at, at larger scale events like this. Is that right? That's exactly right, Tyler. Uh, we'll be doing two different demonstrations. One for the sponsors will be geared around the analytics that we can gather about the users who are on the network. And we can capture things like demographics of the users, what operating system they're using. We can look at the devices that they're using. We can track things like length of time on the network. Uh, mm -hmm. We can even go as far as to track websites that were visited while they're on connected to the network. So it really gives a sponsor a great ROI potential, um, and that's really what sponsors are interested in. They want to, you know, obviously attract the right users, but then they want to be able to do remarketing. And the analytics system that we'll be showing and using now for data capture an analysis, and then also a uh, remarketing campaign, instant remarketing through the system. And then the other piece that we'll be showing is more geared to the teams uh, using a product developed by Samsung called Samsung Axis. We'll be able to create one network that uses a protocol called micro-segmentation that allows us to literally create individual Wi-Fi bubbles for each team, but all on a single network. And those bubbles, kind of I'm doing air quotes, <laughs> bubbles are actually able to take the bubble with them anywhere on the track where the network wow. is present. Yeah, so if they're you know in a VIP area, they log in and then they go to the grandstand they'll still have the same Wi-Fi network that, that, that you know, basically moves around with them. It's very high security on the network. And the teams, as we understand it, are really in need of that, you know, that type of connectivity just to, to, to function. Absolutely. And I think this is an area that uh, a lot of sports fans don't normally think of, or even people that go to large scale events don't normally think of what's going on behind the scenes that allows the event to happen. And so it's really exciting just to get to dive into this a little bit deeper with you guys. Uh, and, and I'm curious to hear from uh, maybe Ken, this is a question maybe for you. Sure. How are how are you able to uh, secure uh, networks like this? Because I, I think obviously anytime you're talking about competitions, you're talking about people that would love to know what another team is doing or something along those lines. So how uh, how secure are uh, the bubbles and how secure are these networks to make sure that uh, nobody is able to tamper with them? Well, the cool thing is they're absolutely 100% secure because everyone has their own dynamic VLAN they're going to live on. So once they have their secure passphrase, they put that in the splash page and it dynamically puts them into their own VLAN. So they can actually see the resources, their printers, all their gear in their truck while they can't see anyone else's. No one else can get in on theirs while all sharing the same SSID everywhere. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, but sporting events isn't all that Brown Pelican does. And, and I was at a gigantic convention over in Europe last week and I was at a massive convention center and there was Wi-Fi throughout it. And I was just kind of amazed that there was able to be Wi-Fi at an event like this. And that's really a, a lot of what you guys do is provide Wi-Fi for a various different events. So how is it different to provide Wi-Fi for, let's say, a gigantic convention center as it is for what you're doing this weekend at Daytona 500. How are those different challenges? Well, the different challenges is whenever you're outdoors and you have the 
big, large outdoor area, you're going to have to really be creative on how you're going to get the the pipe to the individual area. So we'll use point-to-multi-point microwave shots, point-to-point shots, utilize any fiber we get our hands on. Um, while indoors, there's a lot more infrastructure to rely on. So it's just another set of gear. It's the same Wi-Fi, same practices, but more point-to-point and multi-point shots to worry about when you're doing the outdoor events. Absolutely. So it, when you have a an event like at a convention center or something along those lines, are there different challenges presented in that where there are, let's say, a lot of different halls and so you have to get Wi-Fi into each individual hall? Is that is that a different type of a challenge than one when you're outdoors or something along those lines? Um, I don't think it's much of a different challenge as far as putting deploying our gear, but it is a challenge in the convention center because you'll have a lot more rogue devices. Um, inside that building, you'll have... Um, you may have vendors showing up with MiFi's, their own little Soho routers, and those could be really disruptive. So you have to look, look out for those, make sure you have channel management down, and make sure you find those guys who can really pollute the airwaves and just don't not use their own. Right, right. Absolutely. I was looking on your website just at your list of clients and you have just some impressive people that you've worked with from, you know, everyone from ESPN to the NFL to Facebook. Um, tell us about some of the other types of events maybe that we haven't mentioned yet uh, that Brown Pelican has provided Wi-Fi for and how you guys have gone about doing that. I mean, we do all different kinds of events. So sometimes we'll go in just to make sure a real important aspect of an event has a network connectivity it needs like um, virtual reality headsets, you know, sometimes we'll go to a venue and there'll be a network there and it could be a good system, but maybe it will be left on auto channelization, auto everything. And you really need to make sure it's going to be locked down. No channels are going to shift to support like a live stream or a VR headset demo. So a lot of times we go in just to specialize in one aspect. Sometimes we go in and we do everything. Um, and it's really important that we bring gear that can be super nimble because things change on the fly in events all the time. So we got to be able to carve out VLANs like nothing, like within seconds and not weeks. Um, big traffic shape. Just make sure you bring the right gear that could do that kind of stuff fast. I was just going to say, like, one of our kind of standard operating procedures is to always have an engineer on site. And to Ken's point, the, the network is organic. It's a dynamic, it's a dynamic environment that changes. And we have to be very on top of it. So we, we monitor a dashboard. We make any changes on the fly that need to be made to make sure that the network is stable. We even do things like if it's a large group of people, let's say at, in a general session and the rest of the attendees might just be mulling around, but most space, we can actually change the dynamic of the network to make sure that the general session has the highest available amount of connectivity. And then when the people leave the general session room, we can kind of spread it out around the whole venue. So it's important. It's, you know, again, it's, it's almost like an orchestration when you're managing a Wi-Fi network. It's got to be done in real time. We don't take the approach of, you know, plug it in and leave and hope for the best that's how we work. We are always there managing everything while it's going on. And the other thing I wanted to mention, when kinds of Wi-Fi we provide outdoors, it really, in terms of, you know, where do you even get the connectivity? The, where, how do you even get on the internet? 
um, we've been using satellite technology in remote locations in places like the desert of Cal- in the California desert, uh, on top of mountains, in you know pastures and fields, in parks, places that have zero connectivity. We bring in a satellite solution using military grade equipment that allows us to get people connected in the most remote of places. And the interesting, we're seeing more and more of that. You know, brands want to do things that are different and unique. They don't always want to be in a convention center or in a hotel. We see that, you know, companies that want, really want to engage their audiences are going to unique places and we've got to be prepared. Yeah, absolutely. I find that absolutely fascinating, the satellite bandwidth Wi-Fi and some of the other things that you're able to do. Because you're right, we live in an increasingly connected world, and so solutions like what you're able to provide are increasingly not just necessary but mandatory for events um, to be able to pull off what people want to be able to do. Um, and so I, I find that uh, your ability to troubleshoot and and things along those lines are, are absolutely massive in, in what you're able to do. Um, and so far, we've talked a lot about temporary uh, Wi-Fi solutions, but you also pr- provide permanent Wi-Fi uh, at certain locations. Is that right, too? That is, yeah. We, uh, target, we target venues that are typically used for events. Uh, some of the venues where we have a permanent solution are what I would call a mixed-use venue. So, for instance, um, the, the cruise ship terminal in San Francisco, it's, you know, nine – most of the time there's about 80 cruise ships that come in there every year, but in between cruise ships, they use this beautiful building, which is absolutely stunning as an event space. So we've installed a permanent network. Every time an event occurs, we go in and we manage it, but the equipment is permanently installed. It's configured for the location specific to that venue. And we have about five or six different venues in the Bay area right now. And we're constantly looking But it really makes a difference because you know the network is fine-tuned just for that space. You know know it's going to work. Customers actually end up saving a little money because we don't have to go in days in advance and set up a network. All we do is walk in on the day of the event and, you know, turn it on. So clients love it. They know they're getting secure Wi-Fi. They know they're getting something that, you know, again, it's been tuned for that location. And... It's it's been working out really well. That's really awesome, and uh, I, I I I'm fascinated by what you guys do because it's so much behind the scenes, but so necessary now. As I was mentioning earlier, just in our increasingly connected world of events and everything along those lines, uh, you always need reliable Wi-Fi, and so you guys are doing uh, some great stuff. And I wish you uh, all the best this weekend at Daytona. We'll have to catch up again soon to hear how that goes and uh, to get more of the details on how you were able to provide Wi-Fi for a team out there at uh, at Daytona. I'm really excited to hear more about that. Thank you. Good to talk about it. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Today we'll be finding a lot more out, and tomorrow's the day of the race. So Brennan Poole, number 30 truck, go for it. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that is Mary Beth Hall, the CEO of Brown Pelican Wi-Fi, along with Ken Notek, the VP of Technology, and Gwen Bueller, the VP of Marketing, all for Brown Pelican Wi-Fi. Guys, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler.
Thanks again to Mary Beth Hall and to the rest of the Brown Pelican team for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciated getting their insight so close to a race. It was really cool for them to join us while they're there at Daytona International Speedway and be able to give us their insight into how they provide Wi-Fi for such large-scale events. And I'll be curious to talk to them after this weekend and really get a sense for what it was like getting to provide that connectivity for a race team from top to bottom. That'll be really, really exciting to get to learn more about. Coming up next is my conversation with the founder and CEO of Sparta Science, Dr. Phil Wagner. And we're going to talk about how he's able to predict and hopefully prevent injuries in sports. So what he's doing is he's able to get a reliably repeatable set of data points from force plates. And so they have athletes perform a certain number of exercises on these force plates and then take certain metrics over time. And then using the changes in those metrics, they're able to then predict whether or not this player is at a greater risk for injury. So it's very, very interesting to me, really intriguing for the future of sports, because if you're able to understand who is more susceptible to injury, maybe you can protect certain players and protect the investment that certain teams have in those players as well. They're also able to improve athletes' performance using these data points. And so it's really, really interesting to me. And I can't wait for you to hear this interview. This is from November. I talked to Dr. Phil Wagner coming up next here on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Sports are constantly evolving as teams find new ways to tackle the challenges in front of them. New statistics and data analytics teams have helped organizations more accurately understand how to build a winning team. But one of the issues that has constantly plagued teams is injuries. Training staffs and sports medical professionals have grown leaps and bounds in diagnosing injuries and getting players back in action. But what if there was a way to more accurately predict potential injuries using reliably collected data? Well, Dr. Phil Wagner, CEO and founder of Sparta Science, is working to make that dream a reality. Sparta Science has developed a series of tests using force plates that they say can identify potential risk of injury as well as strengths and weaknesses. Used by organizations like the Cleveland Cavaliers in the NBA and the Colorado Rockies in Major League Baseball, the Sparta Scan is revolutionizing the way teams test their players and predict potential injury issues down the road. I caught up with Dr. Phil Wagner at the USA Sports Analytics and Technology Conference in Dallas, Texas. If you're interested in hearing how a jump test on a force plate can predict potential UCL issues in the arm of a pitcher, you'll want to hear what he has to say. I started off by asking him about Sparta and how they got their start. So Sparta Science is a platform for injury reduction and performance uh, amongst everybody. We actually started initially in sports, and one of the reasons that occurred is, is I was rather confused when I was an athlete in high school and college by the lack of objectivity that was being used to address injuries. And in that case, it was my own. And so, you know, thought there must be a better way. So went into coaching and, and eventually went to medical school and learned how physicians treat disease with this idea of, okay, let's take this process, this database and apply it back into more upstream beginning with sports, but ultimately everybody as a way to diagnosing what movement deficiencies exist and how can we best improve those for a better outcome. So the way that you guys do that at Sparta Science is using force plates. And I, I, I kind of want you to go into detail about that and how exactly that works and how you're measuring uh, athlete performance just using force plates. Yeah, force plates have been around for, for decades now. And really what they do is they measure the pressure into the ground in, in different axes um, and they have a high frequency and that's the value sometimes over wearables is you know it has a thousand hertz frequency and that kind of granularity will gather information from a balance test a jump test 
And then all that big data is really fed into a high powered software, which is where our product comes in. It is able to filter and analyze that data using machine learning and some other techniques and provide true insights for each individual based on where risk and performance opportunities lie. So how have advancements in AI and in computer technology really helped you guys with data collection? Yeah, I think when you talk about humans and machine learning, it's been massive. I think that machine learning and AI in healthcare uh, is, is going to be have the largest effect there just because of the amount of variability that exists. I mean, we all are so different. And so, you know, as a result of that, you know, variance and not only in where we're from, but also how old we are and, and our histories, you know, were we injured? Were we sick? Um, all these sorts of um, histories alongside our origin really is a prime candidate for using machine learning, particularly when we start talking about the unsupervised sort. So part of the advantage of what you guys have been able to do is have an easily repeatable um, task that, that you're able to then measure so many different things just based on that one easily repeatable task. How did you get your foot in the door? Because the, the, the number of samples that you guys have is really to your advantage, right? Just the, uh, the, the breadth and width of all of the different um, samples that you've collected across different you know, genders, races, you know, sizes of people and all of that kind of thing. How did you initially get your foot in that door? Yeah, I think the way we approached starting out, it, our variables was very simple, very similar to how we approached building the company itself. And that a core value of both our technology and the people on our team is reliability. You know, can we trust, you know, a, our fellow teammate or can we trust the data? So really looking at all this data, identifying which variables were most consistent um, day to day and identifying those reliable variables and then being able to once we started gathering those reliable variables, then we analyzed to see which patterns of those provided meaning. But really having that consistency at its core uh, is important for everybody, particularly when we start talking about uh, compliance or retention. People want to feel that the data that they're looking at, they can trust. Yeah, absolutely. That trust is a massive part of, of what you guys do. And so I, I, I'm, I'm curious, I just want you to explain for the listener how exactly you measure. Um, let's let's take a picture, for instance. How, how do you use a force plate to determine um, the risk involved for them uh, for a Tommy John surgery or something along those lines? Yeah, I think the the Tommy John or elbow injuries that we're able to predict in baseball players really is the best example of machine learning because we didn't go into the data looking for that pattern. We didn't go in there looking for upper body injuries from a lower body movement. What we did is we put all the data into these models, unlabeled, unsupervised, and what came out was it increased odds for elbow injuries when individuals did not initiate force well on a jump. Mm -hmm. And so if they don't uh, initiate force well on a jump, then the theory is that that's also occurring out on the mound. And so if they don't start a movement with their legs when they're throwing a baseball, then it has to be generated somewhere else, in this case, likely the upper body. And so that excessive use of the upper body to generate a baseball throw over time will start to wear down that UCL. So if you're looking at a pitcher, you take, um, maybe he, he does the, 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 
force plate once a week or, or more than that, but you're, you're looking throughout the season and you can see the decrease in the, uh, in that initial use of force from the legs kind of throughout the season and say that he's had a higher risk of a UCL injury. Yeah. And, and, and that's a good synopsis because the longitudinal aspect, that's what's a big part that's missing, you know, because the, the systems only take about 60 seconds. You can do it frequently enough to see, the changes over time because a lot of screens and testing it's done once a year right and then there the assumption is okay well i'm only going to change my body once a year right right which isn't the case and so being able to see how the individual responds to fatigue is not can't be generalized can't be stereotyped everybody responds to loading in a different way and so looking out over the course of a season how these pitchers change or how any individual changes is a crucial uh, piece to the prediction so you then look at, at that data and say that maybe this pitcher is fatigued and suggest rest, or do you dive into the suggestion for the team or anything along those lines? Or you, do you just stay on the outside and say, this is the data, do with it what you will? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the company at its core actually started as a training facility. And so as a result, the idea of addressing that data with you know, validated prescriptions is at its core. So we never separated the diagnosis and the prescription. We never separated those two out. Um, so really, we've also been able to identify which movements and how much of those movements is effective in improving those force outputs. And the way we've done that is we've taken a, a lens like pharmacology and thinking, okay, what are the different types of movements we're prescribing? How much, what type, all these different things in the same way that pharmacology looks at antibiotics and drugs and that nature. So different sports require different movements, require different expertise from different players. Uh, how did you go into, I suppose you use the same exercises and the same tests across all different sports. So how have you seen the difference in athletes and how have those played out? Yeah, what's, what's interesting is the, the sports are less different than the individual. And by that, I mean, catchers in baseball look very similar to offensive linemen in football, at least in terms of their pattern. They both squat a lot. Um, and then when we look at center fielders, they look similar to, to wide receivers in football. So it's the positional and the skill sets that tend to be shared more than the actual sport. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So in your talk earlier, uh, that was phenomenal, by the way, I really, really, really enjoyed it. You used the example of Jeff Withy, the basketball player at Kansas, and talked about how using the test, you were able to not only uh, reduce risk for injury, but also improve performance. Mm. Uh, and I was wondering if you could just flesh out that example a little bit more for the listeners. Yeah, we took a, we, we took a, a lens and looking at these problems as basically solutions that athletes and individuals choose to use. Um, for the problems they're going to face in activity. Um, and in Jeff Withy's case, you know, not looking at it the same way of not trying to separate out, separate out injury risk and performance and looking at how do we make him more resilient? And in Jeff's case, in a lot of athletes cases, it's how do we get him to play more minutes yeah. more often? And what we found is that that all, because we look at a metric like that, it evaluates, okay, is he good? Coaches aren't going to play guys that suck. Right. And then the other factor is, is he healthy? Right. And so looking at that metric, we found certain force patterns that basketball players that played more minutes tended to gravitate towards. Specifically, they produced less force initially, but more more force, you know, at the outset. And so what what that really means is you've got a tighter rubber band um, that can rebound, that can move faster. And so Kansas was able to prescribe specific movements to actually change that nature of his rubber band to be more explosive and ultimately ended up winning defensive player of the year for the NCAA. 
So you use minutes played for basketball players. What are some of the other ways that you measure uh, players in other sports? Like maybe a pitcher, is it innings, is it pitches? You know, how, how exactly do you break down some of the uh, some of the ways of measuring things for other sports? Yeah, we try to look at it from a, both a volume and an intensity standpoint and look at two factors. Um, so if we talk about pitching, it's number of pitches would be a great volume factor. And then intensity would be, okay, what's the average velocity of those pitches? Right, because throwing 100 pitches at 90 miles an hour is very different than 100 pitches at 98 miles an hour, right? And so taking those both into account can separate out um, the actual stress and stimulus based on each individual. Have you broken it down further than that? Like maybe pitches thrown in a particular inning and game state, you know, bases loaded might be a more high stress situation than bases empty or anything like that? Yeah, there's certainly... um, specific situations to take the decision trees down to uh, a deeper place. The challenge becomes there is we haven't found too much significance there yet. And we believe the reason why is in statistics, you can get to this point, what's called overfitting, Mm -hmm. where you're predicting randomness more than you're actually predicting outcomes. And so when we've looked at some of those specific situations, you know, there's so much variables involved that we've actually found, you haven't found much significance in including those yet. But, you know, over time, who knows? We could find other ways. So at the heart of your company, you're, you're a data company. You collect a lot of data. How, how much resistance have you found when you go into clubhouses or, you, you know, you go into an organization where it's the old school mindset of, you know, I use my eyes, I see my players, I know my players, uh, as opposed to, sure, we'll use this, you know, this data that, that you have. You know, how, how much resistance have you found? Yeah, we actually love the old school because, you know, the old school type sports Um, environments, what they're looking for is like, how do I, they're looking for two things, right? How do we keep winning or staying healthy? And the second thing we're looking for is how do I validate my job? And a lot of times what they find is for the most part, it's almost the 80, 20 rule that 80% of what they're finding in Sparta just explains what a good job they're doing, you know, and that's important, but like all of us, nobody bats a thousand. And so in some cases they find insights they may not have thought of, but for the most part, good data, good technologies will validate great practitioners. And so the, the only resistance we tend to find are those that, you know, don't want to be measured and don't want to be validated um, because for fear that, you know, they may not um, continue to evolve with the rest of the society as we get in this big data phase. Yeah, because you'd have to think that people are looking at this as just the next phase. Everyone's seen the movie Moneyball now, yep. but but now everyone's looking for what's the next step ahead. And if you could prevent injuries before they happen or more easily predict uh, who might be injured in the future. Surely that's a huge advantage that teams have to be looking for either as they look at the draft or potentially signing a player. Is that kind of, do, do teams use that predictively uh, it, when it comes to making a trade or signing a free agent or something along those lines? Yeah, because, and we refer to it as talent identification and it's a big piece because, you know, any player you sign or recruit, ultimately you're recruiting and signing their history. Right. And that injury history or disease history comes with them. And it's the largest predictor of subsequent events. Right. So you really want to know what their history is and how well they're moving as a result after that injury, Um, because there's plenty of cases where athletes have had a certain injury, a setback, and they've never been able to return. Or there's other issues where they've, you know, had a setback and they actually come back better. Right. And so how do we use data to identify which one is which? 
So you guys are kind of in the, you, you were really, really early on in this, in this trend. Uh, and now there are more people joining the marketplace and more money is kind of coming into this, uh, to looking at the, the, the benefits of measuring health and that sort of thing when it comes to sports. What do you see as next on the horizon for Sparta science? And, and as you move further into this industry? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, one of the things we're always looking to do is improve our accuracy. So right now, the systems that we have in place are, are pretty comprehensive. You know, I think the, the goal is to now that we have this framework is if we're a certain percent accuracy on specific injuries, how do we drive that up? You know, how do we be more accurate with the predictions and the sites with which outcomes are going to occur? And that really, you know, for lack of a, a, a better word, that just comes from more data. But it's got to be more good data. Right. right? And it's got to be data around, OK, medical injury histories or data around exposures. How many times are they exposed to certain events that might cause injury? Um, and that's where we see that future for us is improving that accuracy. Sure. Um, so you mentioned this earlier uh, as part of your talk, but you're not just a sports company. You, you kind of d dove into the, the military aspect of things and also businesses interested in measuring their employees output and that sort of thing. Uh, what's the difference when it comes to measuring some, you know, uh, somebody in the military as opposed to an athlete? Yeah, uh, certainly um, th there's there's some difference, but I think the there's a false assumption that the best physical people play pro sports. And I think the example I used in my talk was, while I might produce more force than most pitchers, I can't throw a strike. Right. Right. So there's a there's has to be an, you know an understanding of the skill, you know of of movement in sports and in military. There's a massive mental resilience factor. You know, what they may lack in physicality, you know, they're going to gain back in the ability to um, be resilient against any sort of mental challenges, emotional challenges that they face um, being, you know, part of serving your country. Um, so there, there's a lot more similarities than people would realize between those groups. And part of that is because there's other factors. But the physicality across is something we're really excited about because not everybody's a pro athlete. Not everybody's in the special forces. And to really help the most amount of people, moving towards fitness and healthcare is just a natural evolution for us. Man, that's really fascinating. You guys are doing awesome stuff. That is Dr. Phil Wagner, CEO and founder of Sparta Science. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Thank you, Tyler. you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Phil Wagner. I really appreciated his insight. And I think it's really innovative and smart what they're doing there at Sparta Science. I'm excited to see what they do next. All right. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for for this week's episode of the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back soon with another episode. But until then, to hold you over, because I know that you're going to be uh, wanting more content in the meantime, there is uh, plenty of written content as well as videos and podcasts on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment industry page. So the best way to get there is to go to marketscale.com, click on the Industries tab, scroll down to Sports and Entertainment, click there, and you'll be able to find lots more content just like this. So thank you again for listening. We will be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening.